It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Ezra about one of the rarest conditions we've ever covered, collagenous gastritis. Normally, I like to find definitions for diseases like this that we haven't covered in the past. I'll read to you from a website and tell you about the disease in clinical terms, but this one is so rare I couldn't even find a good article from which to read. When I searched for collagenous gastritis, I just found a lot of clinical studies with language that would need more explanation than the explanation of the disease itself. So I'll just tell you what Ezra tells me about this disease. It is a buildup of collagen in the gastrointestinal tract that forms into bumps or nodules. This is not Ezra's first diagnosis. They were already diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Actually, when they were about 10 years old, they were diagnosed with Crohn's. And they were diagnosed with collagenous gastritis about a year ago in their 20s. Ezra's gastroenterologist had found bumps or nodules in their gastrointestinal tract, but had no idea what they were. And it took five years to solve this puzzle. This doctor was asking other doctors at conferences, what do you think these nodules could be? And finally came across collagenous gastritis and Ezra tested positive. Ezra tells me there have been somewhere between 200 to 1,000 people who have been diagnosed with this disease. That is exceedingly rare. One of the research studies I just looked at said there were fewer than 300 cases in the reported literature. So kudos to Ezra's doctor for sticking with it and finally figuring this out. On the podcast today, Ezra will talk us through their health journey, first with Crohn's disease and then with collagenous gastritis. We'll talk about how it feels to be diagnosed with something so exceedingly rare and to live with dietary restrictions from two conflicting diagnoses. Collagenous gastritis is a disease I am excited to feature. One of the studies I just looked at said that it is believed that this disease may be wildly underdiagnosed because it is so little known. Thank you so much to Ezra for coming on the show to educate us today and share their story. We'll get to it in just a couple minutes. If you are enjoying the Major Pain Podcast, there are a lot of great ways to support the show. You can learn all about them on our website, majorpainpodcast.com slash support. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. I'll remind you as always that my guests and I are not medical professionals. So please do not take any action based off what you hear on this show without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our amazing episode with Ezra about collagenous gastritis and Crohn's disease. Ezra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to get to know you today and to hear your story. So let's start with getting to know you. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, so I am 24. I work as a lab technician at a high school. So I'm pretty much all day making chemicals and putting together lab activities and organizing the science fair, stuff like that. It's a really fun job. I really like it. Cool. Other than that... I spend most of my time either hanging out with my cat. He's very cute. Um, <laughs> I'm really into Star Wars. I know I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. Yes. And I've heard that you're more into Star Trek, which I, oh, have I love. not watched at all. I love Star Wars. It's, it's yeah. neck and neck for me. Yeah, okay. I, I love them both. I've, you know, I know way too much about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I feel like one day I want to kind of jump into Star Trek, but it's just I feel like there's so much content. I don't even know. I don't even know what to, where to start. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
And, you know, I started with The Next Generation as a kid, mm -hmm. which was the second show that came out. I didn't watch the original okay. series until I was like uh, in my 20s, I think. So, you know, you can start anywhere. You can start with the new shows. There's a brand new show, Strange New Worlds, that's going right now. It's okay. absolutely fantastic. Discovery was kind of the relaunch of Star Trek a few years ago. It's a little rocky, but it gets really good. I think, you know, I don't know. You might like it. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I it's I love it all. Star Trek's fantastic. But what's your favorite Star Wars? I, I mean, I love Star Wars, too. Honestly, I really am into the animated shows. I feel like mm. in general, like that is my favorite stuff is like, um, like Rebels and the Bad Batch. Yeah. Clone Wars, too, obviously. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really like the animated stuff. Oh, yeah. I've seen it all, too. Rebels is my favorite of those. Rebels, Rebels is fantastic. Is and the main character has the same name as me. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Ezra Bridger. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch Ahsoka? Were you super excited that I Rebels kind of yeah. came into live action? It was really cool. It was. I, I feel like it was cast really well. It was. It was cool to watch. Yeah, yeah, it was really exciting. And new Bad Batch seasons coming soon. But yeah. I think the the absolute best animated Star Wars that everyone needs to watch is like the last four episodes of Clone Wars, which is mm -hmm. sort of like concurrent with uh, Re Revenge of the Sith with Episode yeah, I feel Three. Like it sets up a lot of. It, it really ties into like a lot of the Star Wars media. I yeah. agree. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's so incredibly well made. It, it's like mm -hmm. its own episode of Star Wars that I think should be required viewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, okay, let's jump into your story. So Ezra, what is yeah. your major pain? It's a great question. I mean, <laughs> I have, I just have a lot of stuff going on in my digestive system mostly. Mm. Um, I was first diagnosed with Crohn's disease a while back um, and more recently diagnosed with collagenous gastritis. And so wow. for a solid like three to six months there after that diagnosis, I was like, wow, we figured everything out. It took so long to get this diagnosis. And then like my next procedure, they're like, well, now your stomach lining is thinning and bleeding and something different altogether. So once oh, again, no. it's a mystery. <laughs> wow. So you... You thought you had it figured out, but there is still yeah. like some underlying issue. There's still something up. Oh, frustrating. Yeah. And, and at 24 years old, that's like, that's too young to be dealing with all yeah. this stuff. Yeah, I know. I want, let's go through and define some of these things. So Crohn's mm -hmm. disease, we have covered before, but it's always great yes. to have a refresher. So what is Crohn's disease? So Crohn's disease is an autoimmune disease where from... As far as I understand, it's um, like the immune system attacking the cells of my digestive system because they don't recognize them as my own cells for whatever reason. Hmm. Um, so it causes a lot of inflammation, pain, nausea, just not fun stuff. Um, and for that, I'm on an immunosuppressant, which has helped so much. It's a biologic. Hmm. And ever since... Starting that, I felt just so much better. Um, yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and am I m remembering this correctly, that you have to avoid certain things like strawberries and popcorn, that th th things with small bits that might get stuck in your stomach lining? So for me, the small bits stuff is not so much of an issue. I oh, feel like good. most people with Crohn's disease, there are a lot of things you can't eat. And a lot of that does overlap, but it's also like varies from person to person. So for me, it's mostly just like, high fiber things that I can't really digest. So, oh, I mean, wow. popcorn and corn in general is one of them. I just can't, I can't eat corn. I can't okay. eat red meat. 
I can't eat dairy. I don't know if that's just because of the Crohn's or because no one in my family can eat dairy. We're all Jewish and (laughs) (laughs) can't eat dairy genes. So that might be separate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm Jewish also. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm I'm okay with like sheep and, and uh, goat's milk, but not necessarily Mm -hmm. with cow's milk. Okay. What is collagenous gastritis? This is the one where like, I've never heard of this and I was excited to talk to you about it. So collagenous gastritis. So I, I was diagnosed with that, I think about a year ago now, maybe a little less, maybe six months. I don't know. Somewhere between uh, about a year ago. I'll go with that. Um, (laughs) And that took a very long time to diagnose because essentially I have these bumps in my stomach, like nodules, I think my doctor called them, that have been there for probably at least five years at this point. So they've been, she's, my doctor has seen them there for at least five years, but kept taking biopsies and just nothing was coming up. It wasn't showing that it was Crohn's, even though I have Crohn's, it wasn't showing that that part of me was affected by Crohn's. It was something completely different. Um, so kind of every time she took a biopsy, she tested it for more and more things. And finally, um, it came back positive for collagenous gastritis, which is essentially like it's a buildup of collagen. So the nodules are just made of collagen and it's causing all sorts of issues in my stomach. Um, I don't think, I think it is very rare. Mm. Um, I kind of, I did a bit of research afterwards and the, I was reading different studies. Um, and I think the numbers from that study was anywhere from like 200 to a thousand people have been diagnosed with it ever. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> so oh, I guess that's wow. partly why it took so long is because it's really quite rare. <laughs> Wow. Um, Do you feel like super yeah. special? <laughs> Partly. And then I think um, you reached out to me because of a video that I posted on TikTok. And there was another lady who also reached out to me who was like, I was diagnosed with collagenous gastritis years ago. And it's like the worst thing ever. And mm. I got so that's that really scared me. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, I found someone else. And she was like, this is, has ruined my life completely. And I'm like, oh, no, I feel really bad. And I'm just really hoping it doesn't get to that point for me. And I just wish it didn't get to that point for anyone because yeah sounds like it can be really horrible but right now it's not causing me too much pain i'm managing it fairly well yeah you know and that that's a tricky thing but and i i think about that sometimes too with my own diagnosis but like i worry about like what if the meds stop working or what if i flare up again those are really hard thoughts to kind of keep down like what does the future hold and Mm. i really try to like root myself in the present moment and say, hey, I'm doing good today. And that's really all that matters. And there's so many people with my disease that haven't found the right cocktail of medications. I really lucked out. You know, I yeah. I kind of like knocked it out of the park on the first try. There's people who have my disease that could go on the exact same cocktail and see no improvement. So, yeah. you know, it's so individualized. And, you know, it could be that this other woman, it could be that there is some weird cocktail that would help that she hasn't discovered yet that she right. will discover. <laughs> It could be that yours never looks like like hers, you know. We right. just don't know. We don't know, and that it, that's hard to live with. But I I find I find myself sort of like shooing those thoughts to the side and trying not to <laughs> trying not to yeah. you know think about them in my daily life. I don't know if that's the right or the wrong answer. That's just what my brain does. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's better to try not to stress about bad things if they're not happening right now. Yeah, <laughs> but I totally. try to tell myself. Yeah. Okay, so collagenous gastritis is a yeah. buildup of collagen. In the your gastrointestinal tract, it's causing these like nodules of collagen. What are yeah. the sort of symptoms that that can cause? Mo- the main one is just like pain in my stomach. Mm. 
even before I was on the immunosuppressant, I was on, um, and I'm still on like acid reflux meds because I just like can't handle any acid in my stomach because it's so painful to these nodules. Wow. Um, And so because of that, there's also like a whole other list of things I can't eat. Um, (laughs) Basically anything that can cause acid reflux, which is like pretty much everything that tastes good, fried things, spicy things, pickled things. Wow. So sad. (laughs) You're on two distinct don't eat lists, like one for Crohn's and one's for uh, collagenous gastritis. Completely separate. Oh, no. Oh, that's really frustrating. Yeah. What is the middle ground? What can you eat? Luckily, I'm not gluten intolerant. Wow. I've been tested for celiac like probably five times at this point because before getting the collagenous gastritis diagnosis, I was just like tested for a lot of stuff, essentially. Yeah. Um, so I'm just like so thankful that I can eat gluten. I honestly don't know what I would do if I couldn't because I eat a lot. I eat a lot of bread and crackers yeah. and pasta. Um, but there I can eat most vegetables, which is good. I eat a lot of vegetables. I can eat tofu. I eat tofu pretty much every day. I can eat chicken and fish. I hate fish though. I can eat it. It's just, <laughs> I do not like the taste. Yeah. So a lot of like really fresh things. It sounds like. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't really eat fruit either other than like bananas. Wow. Which sucks. I mean, I don't eat seafood, but that's just from being kosher. Mm. Wow. (laughs) And kosher on top of this. Yeah. I mean, growing up kosher, it wasn't like a huge deal because I didn't eat red meat or dairy anyways. Um, And the seafood, I don't like anyways also. So I feel like it's whatever. It doesn't really affect me that much, but I probably could eat seafood. So growing up kosher actually maybe prevented some damage. Because Probably, you, you avoided yeah. some of these foods that you have to avoid anyway. Yeah. And my dad, my dad has Crohn's as well, which is partly why I was diagnosed so young. Oh, wow. Um, I kind of, I started having symptoms when I was nine or 10. And I pretty much immediately, my, since my dad has Crohn's, my doctor ordered a colonoscopy and they diagnosed me. So based wow. off of that. So you... that was lucky. I mean, obviously not great for my dad, but lucky for me that they were able to... <laughs> you know, kind of pinpoint what it could be from such a young age. And I feel like that definitely helped me avoid it getting worse. Wow. So your journey started at like nine or 10 years old. Yeah. Everything kind of started when I went to see my doctor because my sister had the flu or something. And so my mom took her to the doctor and I was, she couldn't leave me at home. So I came to the doctor kind of looked at my sister and was like, okay, you have, you have a flu. Just like go home and take time. He looked at me and he's like, you look like you have jaundice. I need to run tests because you do not look good. And I was just, I did not expect my doctor to be saying anything. So I was just there with my sister. So he ran a bunch of tests and it turns out I was just like severely iron deficient, which is why my skin looked kind of yellow and he thought it was jaundice. It was just, it was iron deficiency. That's kind of when everything started. I think my parents felt really bad after that because it had been about a year or two prior to that point. And I think that was, I think that happened when I was 10, I believe that time of seeing the doctor, but it had been a year or two before that, that I basically felt horrible. I didn't, I felt really bad after exercising. Mm. Um, And I think I remember like my dad trying to race me and I get out of breath really fast or like I get out of breath of going up the stairs. My parents are like, Oh, you're so lazy. Like, what is this? Uh. (laughs) And then they felt really bad after it turned out to be um, Uh. anemia. But that's when everything started. And it was, Pretty soon after that, I think that I was referred to a gastroenterologist because I'd been having stomach problems already for like 
my whole life as far as I can remember. But a lot of it, honestly, I think was anxiety. I've had anxiety ever since I gained consciousness, which (laughs) sucked. (laughs) But also I think most of my stomach issues at that point were coming from anxiety. But because I had any stomach issues at all, they just sent me off for testing and diagnosed me with Crohn's when I was, I think 11 was when I got the diagnosis. Okay. So Um, from like maybe seven or eight years old, you're just sick all the time. You're extremely malnourished because you're yeah. just not your your stomach is inflamed and your yeah. your like autoimmune disease is activated. Your body's attacking your yeah. own <laughs> digestive tract. You just aren't absorbing nutrients. Yeah. Like growing up, even before like the iron deficiency showed up, like I was a very small kid. I was my doctor was constantly trying to get me to gain weight. I was reading my diary from when I was, I think, like seven or eight years old. And I was talking about all the food that my mom cooked to try and make me get fatter. (laughs) (laughs) And that's probably like greasy foods that probably didn't sit well. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. It's so interesting when we don't know what's going on in our bodies, the choices that we make can be the exact Mm -hmm. opposite, trying to get a result that is never going to happen because we don't have all the information that we need. Right. Partly off topic, but like I've always been very bothered by like videos I see on TikTok or YouTube or whatever of people saying that like if you're having stomach problems, this is exactly the food that you need to cut out and it's going to work for everyone. And yeah. sometimes it's like all you need to eat are fruits, then they'll be fine. If all I ate was fruits, I'd be I'd be gone in like a month. I can't oh, eat yeah, totally. Oh, it, it, it drives me crazy, too, because like I can't yeah. eat fermented foods. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people say that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before I knew that, I saw all these videos online of people saying, hey, this yeah. is the magic. You just need some kombucha. You need some sauerkraut in your breakfast right. and uh, kimchi every day. And I was doing that. Like I was eating kimchi and sauerkraut with breakfast every day. Oh, no. Not <laughs> both, one or the other. Yeah. Uh, and I was just getting worse and worse. And I, I mean, I was essentially like poisoning myself. eating this like very healthy food that my body can't process so that that it's so true everyone's body is different you know there is no this is the right thing to eat for every person everyone has a different Mm -hmm. biochemistry and you have to learn that for yourself so just you know don't listen to influencers for (laughs) for dietary advice ever (laughs) no what was it like to be eight or nine years old and just be sick all the time and being told you're lazy what was the narrative you were telling yourself about yourself at that point in your life? Yeah. Um, honestly, it's kind of hard to remember. I feel like I already felt very different from other people because I also have autism. I was diagnosed with mm. autism a couple of years ago. And growing up, I feel like I already just felt different. And having something else added on to that didn't make a huge difference to me. Yeah. I have weird memories of being a kid. When I think of being a kid and I think of like, you know, my memories from back then, it feels like I was a different person. Like I'm looking into someone else's brain. It's kind of weird to think about. I don't know. Wow, so I don't that's really know. fascinating. Yeah, really yeah. interesting. It sounds like you have very loving, supportive parents. I do, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything you've said sounds like they're really trying to do everything they can for you. Yeah. And like we were just talking about, they didn't have all the information about what was happening with their child's body and how to best Mm -hmm. get nutrients into their child, which is like a basic human function. But then you get this diagnosis. Do they put you on medication right away? Do they change your diet at 10 years old? You know, what was that process like? I didn't go on medication until I think I was like 19 or 20. So at first, it was mostly just I was able to manage it with diet. Um, I think it was easier because my dad has Crohn's. And so I pretty much just cut out everything that he didn't eat. And Mm. I felt a lot better. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Up until I started university, really, 
and I started cooking for myself and probably eating too many things that I shouldn't have been eating. Then everything mm. got a little worse again. Wow. Okay. So that we're jumping forward to like 19, 20 years old. Yeah. Pretty much between like getting diagnosed at 11 and like 19, I was able to manage everything with diet. Wow. Yeah. So when, when you are in university, you just start getting sick again, start like being maybe malnourished again, having pain. What, what was the situation? I went through a period of time, I think I was 19 or 20, where I got pretty severely malnourished. It was mostly because of <laughs> autism, honestly. Like I was having a really hard time figuring out what to cook for myself that I would enjoy eating. Mm. And the easier option was just like not eating very much because mm. I just didn't know what to do. Wow. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, in my first year of university, I was on the meal plan. So I would just buy food with my meal plan money and it was fine. And when I started having to cook for myself, it was just an, a new experience. I think a lot of university students live off of like ramen noodles and craft oh, yeah. dinner and things yeah. like that. And I Frozen just like, burritos. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really hard to, to learn to cook for yourself and take care of yourself. But like for me, just eating that stuff, like I got very malnourished pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and so... I saw a doctor and did a bunch of blood tests and was like, yeah, you're deficient in like everything. Oh no. <laughs> um, and put me on a couple supplements, but also I started seeing a dietitian who helped me figure out what to eat. Um, and I haven't had a ton of problems in the same realm as that since then. I've figured out what I like to eat and what I like to cook. Um, so it's been pretty much fine <laughs> since then. But around that time also, I just stopped being able to absorb iron at all. Hmm. essentially um because as a kid i was on liquid iron and it was like actually disgusting like that was the nastiest thing i've ever tasted and i had to take it every day then i went on iron pills once i was able to swallow pills um, and they worked well for a couple of years but around that same time they just stopped working like i would take the pills every day and it wouldn't do anything i think it was just before covid hit so like march of 2020 that i had my first iron infusion and i felt so much better after that. Like even wow. when I was taking iron pills, my iron levels never went above like 12. And after <laughs> doing the infusion, they were at like 50 and I felt amazing. <laughs> that was definitely like another game changer for me, just like being able to have that as an option. And since then I've had another round of iron infusions as well. That was very helpful. Yeah. When did you start the biologic? The biologic I started, I think it was also around the same time that the iron pills stopped working because even though I was feeling okay, other than kind of like the pain in my stomach, which was kind of separate from the Crohn's, <laughs> in terms of the Crohn's, I was feeling okay, but I wasn't absorbing any iron or like many other nutrients. And so that's why I was put on the biologic. And I think that was around the same time as the first iron infusion. Okay. And what is that, like three or four years ago? Yeah, like three or four years ago. Okay. And so... This is this is kind of running up into COVID, isn't it? Around yeah. the same time. So it was it was right around the same time as COVID. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot to go through yeah. at the same time. Um and also that's a terrifying time to start a uh immune suppressant. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about like the timeline versus COVID, I think it was the September of 2020. So like pretty much a couple months after COVID really hit. Wow. I mean, it was scary to like go on an immunosuppressant when there was a pandemic happening, but yeah. the alternative was to just be malnourished and that wasn't any good either. 
Wow. So were you just like super careful about exposure? Yeah, I think at this point I've gotten like seven or eight vaccines. Yeah. I was very careful. Um, I did end up getting COVID once, I think like two years ago ish. And I got like the Paxlovid pills Mm -hmm. on those pills. It just felt like it flew. And thankfully it wasn't too bad. It was just, I felt horrible for a week and then it went away. Yeah. The Paxlovid is, is such a game changer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the midst of all this, you also start having, you mentioned, you know, new symptoms from the collagenous gastritis. What did you think was happening at first when that pain was starting in your stomach? Yeah. I mean, I think at that point I just assumed that it was related to the Crohn's, which like, I guess it kind of is, but I thought it was just because like I had Crohn's in my stomach all of a sudden. Yeah. I think honestly, now that I'm thinking back, I think I thought it was just like really bad acid reflux that I had developed. Mm. I think between like my first colonoscopy when I was like 10 or 11 and like going to university, I don't think I had any other scopes. Like maybe I had one and they didn't see anything. It was when I was like a younger teen. Okay. Because I was able to manage everything so well with my diet. So when I started having the pain, I was like, oh, I acid reflux or something, but talked to my doctor. She put me on acid reflux meds and did an endoscopy. And that was the first time that they saw the bumps that there actually, there was, there was something else there. Um, and after that, I had assumed that was just Crohn's, but they tested it and it wasn't. Wow. And you yeah. said it took a couple of years to get that diagnosis. Yeah. I think it was about five years between first seeing. Wow. The, the, nodules and the diagnosis was that scary to to know that there was something unknown going on in your own body and not really knowing what it was at first definitely i think part of me was still convinced that it was just crohn's and it just like wasn't showing up as crohn's for some Mm. reason yeah but after a while i kind of just got used to it in a way like it's just like okay well there's the mystery (laughs) i'm just mysterious now Um, yeah I don't think I even realized how weird it was that it took so long to diagnose until my doctor started telling me about like, oh, I went to this uh, conference and I talked about you with these other doctors. And like that happened a couple of times. Like, why are you talking about me at conferences? Like, what's, what's going on? <laughs> and how did they finally figure it out? Since the first time that those bumps showed up on an endoscopy, I went for a scope every six months to a year for like four or five years. I mean, every time she would test for more and more things and eventually just hit what it was. I Mm. think at first, you know, because they weren't going to test for everything under the sun at first because more likely that it's something common. And then every time they just tested for more and more uncommon things until something showed up. Wow. So this was the same gastroenterologist who finally figured it out. Yeah. and, and maybe if they're like talking about you at conferences, they're researching, <laughs> yeah. trying to figure out like, what yeah. have I not tested this person for? And then yeah. finally get it right. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm very lucky. I have a really good doctor who like from yeah. the beginning has really, you know, listened to me and taken everything I said seriously. I know that's not the case for a lot of people, which really sucks. Yeah. So I'm really grateful about that. She definitely has my best interests at heart. Always trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, wow. That's so, so special. That's it yeah. is so hard to find. And I mean, even with a doctor who really cares and who is, who has your best interests at heart and is mm-hmm. trying everything, 
It can still take five years to right. get the right diagnosis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what did it feel like to finally hit the jackpot and figure out what these nodules were? I feel like it was like a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Like I yeah. finally, I knew what it was. There were some treatment options, although it was so rare that there isn't like a standard treatment. Um, and unfortunately the treatment we tried made everything worse. Oh and no. that is what? where I'm at now, essentially. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I'd love to hear some details about this. This is the type of thing that I really am interested in on the mm -hmm. podcast because there's so few people, like 200 to a thousand people ever who've been diagnosed with collagenous <laughs> gastritis. <laughs> You know, this might be the opportunity for one of those people to hear from you, you know, to yeah. hear from someone else with the disease. And I'd love to hear some specifics, like what you tried, what didn't work, what you're trying mm -hmm. next. Yeah. So I think I'll start from the, the beginning of before I even knew I had it. Um, and I was on acid reflux meds. I think I tried four different types of medications. And unfortunately, the one that was by far the most expensive worked the best. Uh -huh. Luckily, back then, when I was on all of these different acid reflux meds, I had really good insurance that covered 100% of my medications. So that was wow. nice. No, that is no longer the case, unfortunately. Oh, but, bummer. What was the most expensive one that worked the best? Called Dexalant or Dexalant Soprazole, which I am about to go back on, even mm. though it's very expensive, but I've nothing else I can do. Um, but as, yeah. anyways, I started that and then... I think it was about six months to a year later that I started the biologic and that basically made all of the pain go away. Um, even the, you know, nodules in my stomach, they weren't as inflamed as before. They weren't bleeding. They were just kind of there. Um, but they were still there and still didn't know what they were. So once my doctor figured out what they were, um, I, she put me on a course of steroids that were like, I had to like just open the pill and swallow it essentially so that it would work in my stomach and not mm. in the rest of my digestive system. Mm. Um, because even though I wasn't having pain, I was still having problems absorbing nutrients. So she wanted to get rid of the collagenous gastritis if she could. Um, so I went on the steroids and I felt great on the steroids. I was on them for three months. Um, but then once I stopped them, I felt pretty horrible. Mm. Since then, I had to go back on the acid reflux meds, which I wasn't on. I stopped, I stopped those ones. I started the uh, immunosuppressants because it helped so much that I wasn't, I didn't have to be on them anymore. But after getting off the steroids, I had to go back on them because kind of wreaked havoc in my stomach. And it was after that, that I had a scope and found that my stomach lining was kind of just bleeding and mm. thin. And it could be that that was just from the steroids that I don't know. I just didn't react well to going off of them. Yeah. Like resolve, hopefully, but. That's the ongoing mystery is why yeah. is your stomach lining thin and bleeding? Exactly. But the thing is, the steroids did help the gastritis. Like the, mm. the, the bumps decreased by a lot. Wow. It just caused new problems. Yeah. Oh, man, this is so frustrating because it's like if the steroids are what helped the collagenous gastritis but thinned your stomach lining, then what are you supposed to do? It's like if, if it's helping yeah. one thing but hurting another then obviously it isn't a safe option. Mm -hmm. What are the other options that you know of for collagenous gastritis? I don't know if there really are a ton of other options. Oh, um, wow. Okay. There isn't, like, there isn't a set treatment for it. There hasn't really ever been a treatment that's proven successful. There's been treatments that has helped certain people. I kind of looked at a bunch of research studies and there's nothing conclusive, essentially. So Wow. 
And that's a tough spot to be in where you have a disease that's so rare that there maybe isn't even enough research being done to figure out what the treatment options are. Yeah. So I think right now it's just managing the pain and finding other ways to get me to absorb nutrients. And honestly, I know like in general, I don't know what it is biologically, but there is like a difference between like females and males in terms of nutrient absorption. And for Mm. whatever reason, like I think it's something to do with your hormones that females generally absorb nutrients much worse. So for the past two years, I've been on testosterone Mm. because I've been transitioning. And since then, I've had way less problems with the nutrient absorption. So I guess (laughs) that kind of in a weird way, fixed the problems that I was having, especially with iron. I haven't had to have an iron infusion in, I think, over two years, and my iron levels are completely fine. Um, they're better than, you know, when I was on the iron pill when I was younger. So, wow, <laughs> I've never heard that before. So, transitioning, taking testosterone is, yeah. is co- helping your body to absorb nutrients. Yes, it is. <laughs> wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, I don't know, like, the exact mechanism of why that is. I just know it's a thing. Like, I know, just in general, like, the rate of women who have iron deficiency or nutrient deficiencies are way higher than of men. It's almost like your body saying, yes, <laughs> yes, please, to this transition. It's like, yeah. this, is, this is working for you in, in ways beyond gender identity. It's helping yeah. your body to digest food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. Does your doctor have any theories about this thinning in the stomach lining any any ideas about wh- what you're looking at for the future as far as testing is concerned and trying to diagnose what's happening? I mean, you mentioned one, which is the steroids mm-hmm. could have caused it and maybe it will resolve on its own. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, that would be great. But if that's not the case, is there anything else that, that your doctor's talking about with you? I think her main idea was that it was because of the steroids. Hmm. Ever since stopping the steroids, like gradually I've been feeling a little better as more t- like the more time that goes on. So I do think it probably was just that since that scope a couple of months ago where she saw that like my stomach lining was bad. I haven't had another scope. So I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on right now, but yeah. <laughs> it'll probably be in a couple of months. I'm sure I'll go back and we'll, we'll check things out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed that that is resolving, but if not, it's really good to know that you have this doctor who's really willing to yeah. fight for you and keep on testing until they figure it out. So that's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you feel about your journey so far? You're so young. You have so many dietary restrictions. It's so unfair, but you also have no choice. How do you feel right. about that? I feel like the part that bothers me the most is because I've been sick for most of my life and it's all that I know really. I don't feel like it impacts me as much as it probably does just because I have no like baseline. So the yeah. part that really just like gets me the most is the amount of money I have to spend compared to other people on like yeah. medication and treatments and things like that. Um, Cause you know, obviously when I was a kid, I didn't have to worry about spending money when <laughs> I'm an adult and I have to, you know, I have to pay rent and I have to buy groceries. And I also sometimes want to buy things that are just fun and nice. And not have to spend all my money on medication. Mm. I feel like, honestly, that's what bothers me the most. It's like, why? (laughs) Why does it have to happen? It's so unfair. I I think about that all the time. I'm so lucky with the insurance that I have because my main medication is like, I think it's like $3,000 a month. And with my insurance, it's like practically free. 
And if I didn't have that, I'd, I have no idea what I would do because I can't mm-hmm. work enough to, to cover like that alone, let alone that and rent, you know, because yeah. I'm chronically ill. So, but I'm, I mean, I'm so lucky. I, I won my disability case recently and I'm oh, doing, great. I'm doing so much better. I'm able to work a little bit more now and, and I'm on disability. So it's, mm-hmm. I, I, things are really working out for me on that Good. front. Yeah. But so many people, the majority of people are not in that position and medications are just like astronomically expensive in this country. And it, it feels yeah. like I'm being charged a, you know, a premium rate just to live. It, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. It like feels like you're just being devalued as a person. It's like, you know, the basic needs that I have are less common than other people and therefore more expensive because of like capitalism. And mm-hmm. that's just like, I need it to exist and survive. And it's just, it's just so unfair. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I live in Canada, so it's not even as bad as the States. So oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> doctor appointments or anything. It's just medication. And also, I mean, the same, like my main medication, the immunosuppressant that I'm on, my insurance doesn't cover it, but I'm on like some program through Johnson and Johnson where, mm. cause they're the manufacturer of the medication where they will just cover it. So they're covering it. Like I'm. Wow. I don't have to pay for that. So I'm very grateful because that's, I take like a syringe, like I inject myself with it every eight weeks and each injection is $15,000 if it wasn't covered. Oh my God. So, which is half of what I make in a year. So that would not, that would not fly, but. Wow. Um, and wait, how often do you do that? It's every eight weeks. Wow. That's. Yeah insane <laughs> but i think it's, i think it's probably my guess is it's that expensive because like they don't expect people to pay for it either insurance yeah. covers it or they'll cover it so it's like they have to bill insurance a lot of they're gonna cover it for everyone else wow well and that's a great tip is like go to the manufacturer because a lot yeah. of manufacturers have programs like that mm-hmm. where if you can't afford their their drug they w- might provide it for you mm-hmm. so that's definitely something to look into yeah how has this health journey affected your personal life? It's definitely affected it a lot. Um, I think it's helped me figure out the people in my life that I can like really count on and who are, you know, my people and good people mm. that I want to be around. Yeah. I don't want to like publicly slander her. <laughs> I don't have any interest in that. But I, my previous relationship with my ex, um, I was with her for four years and throughout that time there was a lot of like negative comments about my health like she would say things like you know I feel like you're never feeling well why don't you never want to do anything Mm. if we ever like went on a big hike that would like pretty much put me out for the day and she would complain about that uh, that you know we're never able to do much in a day Um, and I feel like that definitely affected me because I felt like you know when it was like someone that I was close to and that I loved, it was like, I felt like it was my fault (laughs) and that I should just be pushing myself because I'm inconveniencing other people if I'm not. Um, I feel like that I kind of ingrained that into my mind for a while. And luckily I've been kind of able to recognize it as, you know, not everyone thinks that way. And I don't need to surround myself with people who do think that way because it just does not serve me at all. Absolutely. That's very wise. Going on a hike on top of your body dealing with what it's dealing with, that's way more to do in a day than than people realize, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. 
Yeah, Especially totally. when like I was anemic, which is before I went on testosterone, which was a, was about half of the time. <laughs> yeah. What's next for you? Are you just kind of in a waiting period to see if this thinning and bleeding goes away? Or do you have plans for what's next as far as what you want to do with your health? Yeah, I think as of now, I'm kind of just waiting to see what happens. I'm still on the immunosuppressant and, you know, the Crohn's is not bothering me very much. It's mostly just the collagenous gastritis or whatever is going on in my stomach. Um, But I feel like the more time that passes, start feeling like a little bit better every day. And I'm kind of just, I guess, waiting for my next endoscopy to see what's going on in there and if I need to do anything other than just kind of wait it out and wait for my stomach to repair itself a little. <laughs> you seem extremely flexible and resilient. Is, is, <laughs> is that you. something that you've recognized about yourself or, or realized that this journey has kind of forced you to become? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have to just take things as they come. I definitely do get freaked out sometimes just about my health. I have other health things too that are completely unrelated mm. um, that affect my life in various ways, mostly less. Like I have a heart condition that um, wow. it doesn't really affect me very much. It's called SVT. Or I don't remember what it stands for. <laughs> something, something tachycardia, but it's not <laughs> like dangerous. It's just uncomfortable. It makes my heart beat like weirdly fast some of the time. Mm. Things like that with like the other smaller stuff that comes up that I just have to deal with. I feel like in a way it like puts other things into perspective of like, well, these other things aren't that bad if I really think about it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it kind of just makes me have to go with the flow. Otherwise I'd go crazy a little bit. Yeah, totally. And living through these type of challenges, so rough, so unfair, so painful, but also like builds other parts of your personality up in a way that can be really positive. Yeah. Well, I have one more question for you. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself when you were nine or 10 years old and share a piece of wisdom from the future that might help ease your passage through this chronic illness, what would it be? I feel like my nine and 10 year old self didn't realize how much this was going to impact my life. And I feel like I wouldn't want my nine or 10 year old self to know. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to go talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like at that point, I was just like, okay, well, I'm anemic and uh, I'll fix it with iron pills and then everything will be better. I feel like I've honestly always been very optimistic about everything and that's been helpful. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting answer. Is that, you know, we were talking about sort of living in the moment earlier. You're basically saying, like, I want to maintain ignorance. So that I can live in the moment more. Honestly, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, Ezra, you've done an amazing job today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Please share with us where people can go to find you, to connect with you online, or anything else you'd like to plug. Yeah, um, I do have a TikTok account that I post on. I've posted a variety of things. Right now, it's almost purely Magic the Gathering content. (laughs) Um, but if you're interested in that, you can find me on TikTok at frog.ca, frog with two G's.ca. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, you know, I saw, like we were saying, I saw your post on TikTok about collagenous gastritis and that's Mm -hmm. what, what connected us here today. Uh, and I'll definitely tag you on TikTok when I post up a clip of your episode. Ezra, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your fascinating journey with us. I know you're in the midst of it. I really wish you all the best. I hope that 
you know, you continue to make progress and continue to figure out what's going on so that you know how to be properly fed because that's so important. (laughs) (laughs) But please keep me updated if you ever, you know, have updates to your story in the future. Let me know. I'd love to chat with you again and hear about how things are going. Um, And yeah, thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your story. For sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Alexandria Henderson, Justin Minnick, Heather Muncy, and Robert, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.